I think for a lot of people, it can be really scary to set limits or because we think it's a, oh, I got to set this boundary and I'm violating their freedoms. No, you're not. You're just telling them what you're going to do. When people scream at me, I don't, you know, on the telephone, then I just hang up. I'll just say goodbye and hang up and we can talk at another time, right? Mm -hmm. Because they can't stop themselves. You have to stop them for themselves. Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom, though. Here, we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission? Inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I'm doing something different this week. I am taking this week's episode straight from the Kick-Ass Stepmom community, which if you're not familiar, is my membership space for stepmoms. Now, a few months back, I interviewed Megan Hunter. She's the CEO of the High Conflict Institute. And it was just such a great conversation. It was so impactful. So many great tips and strategies that I had to share it here as well. Now we're talking high conflict personalities in this conversation, and she shares some amazing strategies for dealing with high conflict situations in your step family life, specifically high conflict co-parenting relationships. We also dive into how to recognize when you're in a high conflict situation, what you need to know about high conflict personalities and how to be proactive in dealing with these type of people. You may want to take notes in this one. Let's dive in. Megan, welcome to the community. I am so grateful that you've taken the time to chat with us today. I can't wait to dive into this. All right. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. For sure. So I think maybe to start off, can you give us a quick little bio or rundown on who you are and what you do? And then we'll get into the meat. You bet. So um, my name is Megan Hunter. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the High Conflict Institute. We're based in San Diego, California, but we um, are mostly remote. So I live in Arizona and uh, we've been around since 2008, even a little bit before that, but officially 2008. And we started in the field of family law. Uh, my co-founder, Bill Eddy, and myself were both in that field. And I was at the Arizona Supreme Court where I was involved in legislation and policy, judicial training, working with all the lawyers and all the other stakeholders in family law, which is a really huge industry. And there was this common problem that everyone had in, in that area of law called high conflict. What do we do with high conflict divorce and child custody cases? And um, we kind of realized is that maybe 10 to 15% of the cases were consuming 80 to 90% of the court's time and resources and providing all this frustration. And bottom line, they were really, really hard on their kids. <laughs> um, these cases were in court over and over and over again. And it, just that, you know, quintessential war of the roses type of, of divorce that just never ends. And um, it just made no sense to me that we couldn't figure out what to do with them. Um, so I kind of made it my mission to see if anyone in the world knew what to do. And um, I came across this man named Bill Eddy, who is a licensed clinical social worker and a uh, family lawyer. 
And he started to put the pieces together and realized what was driving high conflict disputes. And uh, I brought him to Arizona to train our family court judges and then brought him back to train psychologists who were doing custody, child custody evaluations and thought I would have maybe, you know, 20 or 30 people in attendance. And we had to shut the doors at 200. And it was because it wasn't because anyone knew who he was. It was because the topic was so important. So that's how we started. Uh, We realized that everyone needed to know this information. And it's just grown and grown and grown into other areas of family, blended family, and then into the workplace and into customer service and and just, just about everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And, you know, obviously a lot of the members of this community are dealing with high conflict situations, tons of different situations here. How do you recognize when you're in a high conflict situation? Ah, oh, that's a great question. So when you see behaviors and, and actions that are things that 90% of other people would never do, right? So let's say it's, it's domestic violence, and there's different levels, you know, or kinds of d- domestic violence. Sometimes it's a one-off situation and somebody just blows their top, particularly in a divorce. But a lot of other times it's more frequent. And that's that's something 90% of other people would never do. Also, if, if you're um, being blamed, that's kind of the biggest telltale sign of if there's this consistent pattern of blaming someone else, deflecting, shifting. It's always someone else's fault and I'm the victim. There's typically one, sometimes more than one high conflict personality in a situation, but most typically one and and they're blaming everyone else when things don't go their way. Mm -hmm. So a lot of emails, text messages, you know, when someone can't just can't resolve anything, it's probably high conflict, but blame is the key. And you talk about the different personalities. So there's different high conflict personalities. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about what that looks like? Yes. So, and let me go back to the, the other question too, about how you can know when you're in a situation, high conflict situation, if you have a feeling that's outside your norm, like maybe you are overreacting to, to a situation or to a person, or you just get that strong feeling in your gut. It kind of comes up through your chest. Maybe your heart rate is going up. If that's not normal for you, then you might be around someone who has a high conflict personality. So pay attention to your own emotions. That's big, right? Yeah, it's really big. Or if you're confused, because most people... We have a pretty clear picture of the path, you know, and and expectations of how people problem solve and handle issues. But if you're confused about something quite a bit, like, I don't know if this is the truth or if I'm being fooled, it's a a yellow flag to really explore more. And it might be high conflict. Okay. Okay. So then the personality types. So we consider that there's five there's five high conflict personality types and some, they really are kind of founded in personality disorders, which are found in the five DSM five TR. And um, it's not that everyone with one of these personality disorders, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed, you know, is high conflict, but there seems to be a kind of a subsection of those who are. And the five types Four of them come from the cluster B, 
category, and one comes from cluster A. So the cluster Bs are the borderline personality, narcissistic, antisocial, and histrionic. The cluster A is paranoid. So it's just kind of this sub subcategory. So the, the way we kind of look at it is it's a different operating system. So let's presume that everyone has, every one of us has an operating system, kind of like, you know, I've got an Android and you might have an iPhone. They're two different operating systems. What we do in life is we kind of anticipate that everyone has the same operating system with just little variations. But with high conflict people, you're talking about someone who goes to work typically and they, you know, have relationships and they do life just like everyone. But when things don't go their way, when things don't go as expected, it triggers a fear. That's the operating system. It triggers this fear and they go poof and they immediately are trapped in, in reactive brain, which puts them immediately into all or nothing thinking, focusing on a target of blame, unmanaged emotions and extreme behaviors which is very, you know, very much fight or flight. It's very good in wartime, not so great in relationship time. So you get trapped there and it's very instantaneous where this blame comes out and the yelling and the hostile email or the text message and uh, they just can't stop themselves. So there can be vindictiveness and domineeringness and all of that. So we can dive deeper into them um, if you want, but that's kind of the way they operate. And if you, if you look at when things don't go their way, all five types are going to respond in that way. They might not have unmanaged emotions in the moment. Some will, some won't, but there's going to be extreme behaviors that this is just what they do. It's super predictable mm-hmm. where everyone else, we might get mad, you know, or we might we cry or, you know, it might do something extreme once in a great while, but this is their consistent pattern when things don't go their way. Mm-hmm. So is it reasonable to say that when you're dealing with someone who has a high conflict personality, expecting any different is setting yourself up for failure? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's a big, big uh, problem is, you know, we're human and human nature, we just kind of give people the benefit of the doubt. And we think everyone operates the same way. And so that's one of the main teachings we have at High Conflict Institute is you have to forget about trying to expect change and trying to get them to change or to get insight into their behavior and how they need to change. Because it just, it's like me telling my Android phone, you must change and be an iPhone, <laughs> right? It yeah. isn't, it's going to say no and stick its tongue out at me and blah, right? It, it just doesn't work. And so you have to, you have to adjust your expectations. And the way that I think people can best do that is by imagining you're working with someone, you, you come along someone who is you know, hey, Megan, it's nice to meet you, shakes my hand. And um, well, what do you do? And how are you? And then immediately delves into telling me about a delusion, Mm -hmm. right? Something like I've had 15 babies with 17 different men. And, you know, an alien came. And right away, you go, Oh, okay, this person operates differently. There's something not usual here. So I'm going to have to adapt because it's obvious this person isn't going to be able to. So that's one thing, right? And I'm not saying that's high conflict. I'm just using this as an example that 
in order to help yourself remember that this person who's not telling you about a delusion, but they're, they're going to have behaviors that come out when things don't go their way, um, that are going to be really hard on you. You just, you have to think of them that way. It's like, okay, I have to adapt because they can't, they don't know they need to adapt. So I'm the one that has to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, you know, here's a question. So maybe someone's listening to this right now and you just did the description of what a high conflict person is, right? You know, maybe the extreme reactions or something like that. What if they're saying to themselves, oh my gosh, am I a high conflict person? Like, do I have high conflict reactions? Do you have people who come in and they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm part of the problem? Every day. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I just had this happen yesterday, in fact, um, with someone who thought, you know, well, I do that sometimes and, oh, I can be, you know, a little overly emotional. It's very, very, very different because here's the number one thing. If you're wondering if you have some high conflict traits or if you're a high conflict person, because maybe you have a little all or nothing thinking or whatever. Um, just the mere fact that you're thinking about it mm -hmm. and have insight in and some awareness into your own behaviors and actions, that means you're not high conflict because high conflict people truly have zero insight that they are high conflict. And that's why you go back to that operating system and it's been developing a person's whole lifetime. And so to tell an operating system that, hey, you're flawed, <laughs> you know, it's, it's no, it's your fault. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Guys, I am going to be super straight with you. I'm in the weeds of life right now. Yesterday, I asked Darren, do you ever feel like life is going to slow down? Do you think it's ever not going to feel so complicated? Because even though I'm someone who prioritizes self-care and spending time on myself, Lately, I feel like it's been all about work and kids and family and adult relationships, and it just feels so complicated. But you know, that's okay. Life happens in seasons, and during the season, balances off. But I have really had to check myself because I know from experience that when I spend all of my time giving and doing, it can leave me feeling burnt out and stretched thin. Plus, I haven't been doing regular therapy, and I can feel the difference. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so that you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. And as I have shared, therapy has been a huge part of my growth from diving into my triggers and my past and helping me navigate struggles in relationships and family to challenging old narratives and finding balance. Therapy has been a saving grace. And I am in the process of looking for a new therapist because I felt like my old therapist just wasn't a fit anymore. That's the key to therapy, finding a therapist that is aligned with you. And that's actually one of the reasons why I love BetterHelp. Not only is BetterHelp completely online and designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule, you can switch your therapist at any time for free. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And then if it isn't a fit, you go back to the drawing board and you can find a new one. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com forward slash stepmom and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash stepmom and get on your way to being your best self. I have been obsessed with mocktails lately, and I have a new one that I want to share with you. It is super refreshing. It's called the Grapefruit Mint Refresher. Here's the recipe. 
half a cup of water, a cup of ice, two sprigs of mint, and a half stick pack of element grapefruit salt. You know I'm a huge lover of Element, which is a tasty electrolyte drink with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar, artificial ingredients, coloring, etc. Formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet, from professional athletes to everyday moms, it's for everyone. Now, not only am I drinking Element before and after workouts, when I need to rehydrate, when I'm traveling, and after some wine, I now use it to make my mocktails and cocktails. Seriously, throw in some lime salt with some soda, tequila, lime, and mint, and it is also extremely delicious. 100 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Staying hydrated is crucial and a huge priority of mine. Proper hydration isn't just about drinking water, though. It means having adequate water and electrolytes. When you purchase Element from www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash kickassstepmom, Element is giving my listeners a free sample pack so that you can try all the flavors and pick your faves. That's www.drinklmnt.com forward slash kickassstepmom to get a free sample pack with your purchase. So how do you deal with the high conflict person? Because, you know, say you're in a situation, either you're co-parenting or maybe you have high conflict kids and high conflict ex, whatever. What are your tips for effectively dealing with them? Because you were talking about how, you know, in the court system, there's a large percentage of the, the court cases are being, you know, the court's time actually is being taken up by these high conflict situations. So what do we do here? Like what, what's, what's the solution? So you really have to understand that you are dealing with something very different and you need to get educated. (laughs) Number one, Um, you can't battle the same way you battle in other situations. Meaning like kind of one of our number one tips is, is around communication. So Instead of engaging in problem solving or arguments, defending yourself, and meaning just you're you're going to be attacked, you're going to be accused of of things all the time by a high conflict person, and they want you to take the bait, and we usually do, and so we defend ourselves, we get defensive, we say that's not fair, you uh, that's not right, and instead you just have to kind of let it go in one ear and out the other, because in mm-hmm. those moments they're in there trapped in that right brain, that reactive brain. And they're just, you know, it's just ugh, coming out, right? As soon as it comes out for them, they get back into their safety zone because they're only getting that stuff out because that's their operating, how their operating system's programmed. And it's that fear that's gotten triggered. And um, whether it's a real or perceived fear, it's real to them. And it shuts down the processing of the logical, rational part of the brain in those moments. And so we keep talking to this person as if they have access to logic in those moments when they really don't. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do what I call calm before think. You have to get someone calm before you get them thinking. So let's see what this looks like. Uh, Your ex makes an accusation at you, or even better yet, your ex's new spouse (laughs) Um, blames you for something or makes a nasty comment or just is erupting. Well, you're not fair. You never cooperate. You're always bad, whatever. And you want to defend yourself in that moment. I'm the one that cooperates here. You're the one that's always, but then it's on, right? You're just going to spiral 
So you have to focus on getting them calm first. So we calm them with an ear statement, something that shows empathy, attention, or respect. Say, like, I, I understand this is a frustrating situation. Okay, that right brain just comes right back down off the ceiling for them. And you're the one that has is managing that. They can't manage it themselves. So they, they've blown up right brain, reactive brains like, ah. You give them an ear statement. It comes back down, opens the bridge over to the logic part of the brain, and then you get them thinking. That's when you can say, well, here's some information or, well, let's figure out how to address this situation. Do you have a proposal? Okay. So you're forcing that person into thinking, but only after you get them calm. Mm. So calm before think. So that's a really good strategy for verbal. Um, You've got to get done what you need to get done. But you just have to do this extra step of getting them calm before you get the work done. And then when they blow up again, which they will, give them a little more (laughs) ear statement to get them calm and then shift them into thinking. Mm-hmm. And then written communication is a huge problem. <laughs> so if any of you are listening or watching this and, and you're thinking, wow, I get a million of those text messages or emails and they're really awful. A lot of times they're super long or they usually contain some blame or accusations or allegations or something ugly like a poke under the skin, things like that. So we've created what we call BIFF, B-I-F-F. Brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So when you have to respond to one of those emails or messages, write it out and then biff it. So is it brief? Two to five sentences. Is it informative? Meaning sticking to just straight factual information. So you're taking out your opinions, your arguments, your defensiveness, you know, trying to give them uh, insight about their attitude, (laughs) Um, advice, admonishments, all that kind of stuff just facts. And then, um, and taking all that other stuff out gets you down to two to five sentences and then friendly, just keep it a friendly tone. Hi, Susie, you know, thanks for your feedback. Here's some information, (laughs) bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Have a great weekend. And then, uh, I mean, and you got to put your own words in it. It might be see you next week. I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then is it firm? And it means just closing it firmly so that you don't get something back. But a lot of times in family situations, you do need an email back, right? Um, like how, where, where you're going to exchange the kids or whatever. And so you end the email or the text with a question that focuses the person on a choice. Okay. So you don't just ask a question. You say, um, Johnny has to be at the dentist at two o'clock on Tuesday would you like to take him or do you prefer that I take him or, or, or I can take him? Which do you prefer? And that gets the person out of that fighting, reacting, send you a nasty email back and instead focuses them on answering your question. When they're thinking, it's making them use logic brain and getting them to think by focusing on a choice is one step better. Mm, that is really good. I find it really helpful to also make it feel like they've won, like give them a little bit of control, right? Because that's what they're craving. So if you're looking to come to a solution to something, you know, making them see the benefit for them as well. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You're, you're spot on. Because if, if you think about your own fear, like my fear is driving on black ice. Um, other people are afraid of spiders or heights or airplanes, um, you know, flying, things like that. So whatever your fear is, think about what your fear state is when you're in that airplane 
you have a lot of anxiety. And when we have anxiety, all we want to do is not have anxiety. We want to feel better again, and we're going to do whatever it takes to, to get there. So if I'm driving on black ice, I want to be out of the car. Often that doesn't happen. <laughs> you can't just get out. So then I want to be the one behind the wheel. What's that mean? That means I want out of that anxiety, fear state, and I need to get back in control. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're in that car with me, you're going to say, oh, it's okay, Megan. You know, you're, you're going to get through this fine. I'll keep driving. I'm going to do my best. Da, da, da. Talk me down. That's giving me kind of a win, right? <laughs> it's making it about me because I need it about me when I'm in my fear state. Same thing with high conflict people. They're in their fear state, not from black ice or an airplane or a snake or a spider. They're in a fear state because their their fear of being um, inferior for the narcissistic personality um, has been triggered somehow. Nobody's fault. It's just how the brain is operating system. And so they need it, you to make whatever that moment is about them and not about you. And this is where we get it backwards a lot. And so that's where we give them a near statement and we say, I see that this is frustrating. I, I'd probably be frustrated too. Mm-hmm. That brings that fear down, starts to open the bridge into logic problem solving. And so it's kind of a different way of being. And if you're listening to this and you've, you're thinking, wow, that's why, you know, I've been doing that and that's now I understand why it works. Hopefully that's validating for you to know that, you know, what you're doing in these situations working and now do it more. And mm-hmm. that way you're managing the relationship instead of having it manage you and just getting really frustrated all the time. How do you recommend that someone responds? So say they're in this situation where they're constantly getting harassed by the ex, like constant emails, constant calls, constantly trying to engage. How do you shut that down? Yeah. So one of the most important things you have to do with high conflict people is set limits. <laughs> and it's a hard thing to do because we We respect other people's rights and their freedoms, but these are people who can't stop themselves because this operating system is at war, you know, and in their brain, and they don't realize that it's, that's not how everyone operates. And so setting limits is a big deal. And here's how you do it. If you're getting those texts, those emails, it's just, or, you know, lots of phone calls, there's just always a fight and you're dreading seeing this person every time, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you're stuck with them for a long time. Number one, it's really good to have excellent self-care and be prepared in advance every time with your little reminder checklist. I'm going to use ear statements before I get them thinking. I'm going to ask them for proposals about how to handle a situation when they're complaining, but I'm also going to set limits where I need to. So setting limits means structuring things. I propose that we communicate only through text message and only once a week and we can schedule the whole next week out in that text message or whatever it is. So setting limits means telling them what you're going to do. It's not necessarily telling them what they're doing wrong. In your mind, you know, they're going to going to do something that violates a court order, violates just protocol or how things should work. And so you can say, here's what I'm going to do when this mm-hmm. thing goes wrong. So it's, it's like a, sh- um, a shift around from, um, I, I think for a lot of people, it can be really scary to set limits or because we think it's a, oh, I've got to set this boundary and I'm violating their freedoms. No, you're not. You're just telling them what you're going to do. When people scream at me, I don't, you know, on the telephone, then I don't, um, I just hang up. I'll just say goodbye and hang up and we can talk at another time. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because they can't stop themselves. You have to stop them for themselves. Another example, if someone's blowing things up and consistently late dropping the kids off or throwing you under the bus with the kids, I mean, those are bigger issues, but the more structured you get and the more limits you set, you know, just calmly, the better things will go. And people like to resist, but they also feel better when others are setting limits around them. Almost like when children, when you get into a classroom and you you see that teacher that has good, well-behaved, well-mannered kids in the classroom, it's because they're firm in, mm-hmm. and, and still loving, but, but firm and they're setting the limits. So you kind of have to do the same thing. So I really recommend letting that other person know, you know, how you'll be contacted, how, how you can be contacted, where you can be contacted, when your phone will be off, things like that. And you get to make those decisions about your life. You don't have to take phone calls where people are blowing up because these are folks that are in crisis all the time. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they crisis, I need to talk to you. I'm going to text you. They send something because they're feeling awful in that moment. And now as soon as they hit send, they feel okay again. And they're back to their safe space. And now it's on you. And you're like, well, what do I do? And I feel horrible. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of stepmoms and their partners worry about setting these boundaries because they worry that it's going to come back on them if they're in court saying you're not engaging, you're not trying to have a healthy co-parenting relationship, you're not responding when it comes to the kids. What do you say about that? Because I know I personally am like, you can, you don't have to respond every time. You know, you can respond when you're in the space to do it. You don't need to engage in these arguments, but I know that's a huge fear. So they're, I think they're looking for a lot of reassurance. Yeah. So I do everything in writing. And when you are setting limits like that, so that you know, when they go to court, court's about evidence. And so you you just show here was my proposal a year ago. And here's the court order, the parenting plan. And it says, here's how often communication should be initiated. Here's how we communicate. And you just keep records of all of that. And you know, you can show that you've made yourself available and that you've had these phone calls and like high conflict people blow themselves up. They, <laughs> they eventually do. And I know they win a lot in court because they're very persuasive, but really the, you can only do so much. And the so much is just being very clear from the very beginning, do the right thing, right? So let's mm-hmm. say you, you've got a, a child in a sports, on a sports team, baseball team. And there's in last year, there was just so much drama and controversy around who's picking up and, and just who's got the, the uniform and whatever all those issues are. The, the issue is never the issue in high conflict situations, the personality that's the issue. So you have to be that in that space where you are setting stuff up at the beginning. It, it takes a little extra management, but it'll save you time in the long run. So at the beginning of baseball season, here's... Johnny's schedule. Here's the dates that I'm available to pick him up from practice and take him to practice. And I'll be going to these games. What do you propose? uh, Will you be able to pick him up on these other dates or what else, whether, what other ideas do you have? And you, when they come back and at you, you just give them a biff response back, something brief, informative, friendly, and firm. You keep doing that. And if they take you to court, you can show, look, I, made every reasonable attempt to, to do this. And, you know, we're there, we do this, we, we're structured, blah, blah, blah. And you just have to show yourself as reasonable and they will show themselves as unreasonable. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think a lot of times people are really nervous when we get, say, the court order or the court documents or the letters without the accusations and the things that the high conflict person is saying. But I, I always say this isn't the judge and lawyer's first rodeo. You know, they know how this works. You know, things come out that's that's not taken as as fact. So really just kind of, again, sticking to the facts and playing the long game. Yeah. And I think for the most part, that's true. And there are, there are a lot of family court judges who don't have a lot of family law or any family law background. So it's all kind of new to them. And so instead of complaining about, oh, this judge never, you know, doesn't have any experience in that area, you instead educate the court, you educate the judge about what you've been doing and doing right. And you just have to keep with that structure. And most most people are going to see that, see who the reasonable parent is. Um, and then there are, every judge is a human and they're going to make mistakes because it's really hard in some of these cases, particularly when they're allegations of domestic violence, child abuse, child sexual abuse, you know, against another parent. And judges don't know what to do because there's a lack of evidence, but they've got to protect the child. And it's really, those can be tough cases. So you need really good, solid uh, legal counsel um, Mm -hmm. in those cases. So it it can be tough. And I I don't want to under represent, I guess, the complexities of some of these cases, you know, but that's why it takes a lot of good self-care and really sticking with the structure or the, the skills of using BIF, using Calm Before Think. We've got a couple other techniques, like one is called Dilemmas and Decisions, because we often just react because uh, we have our own defaults of how we deal with people. And so this will take you through an exercise to list out all your options on how to deal with this dilemma with this high conflict person. And then you take out anything that's, you know, maybe overly emotional from you or bad options. And we have a little checklist and it'll leave you with the best option. So that can deescalate the conflict too. And there are a few other techniques, but there you can make your life a lot easier by using them. Is that what you say that often high conflict people will do well in court? Yeah, there's emotional persuasion. You know, our brains like stories and some high conflict people are storytellers and uh, they can be very, very persuasive. And if you don't understand this fear-based personality underneath it, um, like I'll, I'll give you an example. If uh, let's say there's someone who whose fear, one of these personality types, the fear is feeling abandoned or being abandoned. And so they feel best and safest and without anxiety when they're connected in an intimate relationship. And so they're kind of, it's like in scuba diving, when you use the air hose, like uh, you you always dive in teams with a buddy, right? You don't want to be under the water by yourself because if you run out of air, you have any trouble with that, you're going to you know, you're going to be in trouble. So that buddy diver has a spare air regulator and or hose or whatever it's called. And so that's kind of how I see this is, is this person with the fear of abandonment really needs someone else to have that air hose from and everything's going fine for a while, but that person can only kind of breathe for both of you for, for so long. And eventually they're going to say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm gasping for breath here. And this person that needs to feel connected and attached and not abandoned is saying, you need to give me more air. And so there's this conflict and one of them's going to cut off that air hose at some point straight to court, divorce court. And now that person that needs the air has to 
connect their air somewhere else. Their hosts are, so get their air from someone else. So they'll often attach it to the kids. Mm-hmm. And now what's going to happen if someone disconnects that air hose? Like the judge says, okay, kids got to go to the other parent's house. Oh, where am I going to get my air? And then the brain starts manufacturing these allegations. Well, mm-hmm. I, you know, there was that one time that, you know, little Sally said, you know, the other parent saw her on her underwear and made a comment. Oh, must be sexually abused. Allegation to the court. And then life's never the same. And the court has to figure out what's happening here, who's telling the truth, who's lying. And it's hard. Now we have some good techniques for that for courts and attorneys and stuff, but it, it's, those are tough cases, but that's just kind of an example of how it goes. Mm-hmm. No, that is really helpful. Now, can you share a little bit about the resources you guys have? And I will link it um, for everyone so that they can check it out, grab your books. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to say, um, you know, I'm a stepmom and I have five stepchildren Oh, when wow. my husband and I got married, I know, 16 years ago, we had seven teenagers. Um, so we bought a really big house with a lot of bathrooms and bedrooms. <laughs> and it still didn't go well. Um, and I made a lot of mistakes because my expectations were too high for his family's culture. You know, they were different from mine. And we just didn't know what to do. So if you're out there struggling with with that in, in a divorce, a uh, blended family or whatever. It's, it's, it's really hard. Um, mm-hmm. I, I get it. And you've got to, you know, you know, you have mis- make mistakes, but you get forgive yourself and you repair them and you move on. And, and, you know, eventually most of those resolve and you can develop good relationships. But anyway, so um, resources, our website is highconflictinstitute.com. And we do training for professionals like lawyers and judges and HR and everyone. And then we have a separate site, that is for individuals who can come and take our live lab to get some coaching on how to write BIF emails and text, how to use that calm before think technique and just get some actual hands-on coaching virtually. Um, we have a ton of books. One I might recommend or a couple is BIF for co-parent communication, where you really get a lot of examples of how to write those BIF responses. Um, another one is calming upset people with ear. Uh, that's about those ear statements. And then um, we wrote another one called Dating Radar. It's it's usually a postmortem for people <laughs> who've been in bad relationships <laughs> when we meant it to be like a, a precursor to getting into a bad one. But anyway, so it's highconflictinstitute.com and you can find anything there. And we have mm-hmm. a podcast called It's All Your Fault that can be found anywhere. Good name. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I will link everything for everyone. And we're going to have to have you back. I'd love to dive into the Biff responses a bit more. And, um, you, you know, because I think that, well, we can all benefit from that, right? Absolutely. It's it, <laughs> communication, especially texting and email is kind of everything these days. So yeah, I'd be happy to. And I'm really grateful that you've had me on. Thank you. All right. You bet. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode and know someone that it would resonate with, do me a favor and send it their way. And if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. I am so passionate about opening up the conversation about blended family life and debunking the stigma that comes with being a stepmom. And you sharing this podcast helps me do just that. Now, if you're craving more podcast episodes and interviews, would like to connect with me and get access to workshops like how to disengage the right way, 
how to improve your relationship with your stepkids, how to talk to your partner about your stepfamily stress without causing a bigger fight and more, you have to check out my membership, the Kick-Ass Stepmom Community. Not only will this community give you access to strategies and tips to improve your stepfamily life, you can connect with me and stepmoms from over 30 countries around the world in our private chat and our live Q&As. Head to www.kickassstepmom.com to join.